Back Insider Podcast. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week's Back Insider's founder, Christy Marvin, and I will be speaking with Alex Rodriguez, CEO and founder of Embark. Embark announced a business combination with Northern Genesis 2 on June 23rd. Embark is among a series of companies targeted by SPACs in recent months aimed at revolutionizing freight trucking. Embark's technology allows trucks to navigate completely autonomously on long stretches of highway, and its platform is already in use on public roads. We talk about how the challenges of driverless trucks are different from those of driverless cars, and why we'll be seeing many more of them much sooner. Take a listen. Alex, thanks for uh, for being here today. Um, but you know, just to start off with, um, I read recently that as a, sort of a, a proof of concept, you you built a self driving golf cart. Which uh, I, mean, I mean, there's probably a, a market out there somewhere still for self driving golf carts for people that have had a few too many <laughs> uh, on the course. But um, however, prior to that, you love your love of robotics, right? Led you to also build. Um, at least what I read anyway, was a, a droid called Muffins, <laughs> uh, which shot hockey pucks. But maybe you can kind of walk us through your background and what led you to start Embark, because it certainly sounds uh, like an interesting sort of history that you have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for having me on first. Uh, super excited to, to be on with you guys. When we first uh, started getting to know the SPAC product, uh, even before we'd really talked to any bankers, uh, we signed up for a SPAC Insider account back in the day to, oh, really? <laughs> to get some of the stats on some of this stuff. So uh, I thought it was kind of cool that we got the opportunity to, to, to chat. So my background, I started building robots when I was 11. Um, so I've been doing this for, for quite a while. People sometimes like, well, you're, you're pretty young. Uh, you know, what, what kind of experience do you have? I'm like, well, yeah, but all of my experience has been building robots. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have 15 years of robot building packed in, packed into a short time. Um, my background starts, uh, with that. So I did, I did what's called first robotics, which is this, uh, competition robotics format. It has different levels. I started at the bottom, worked my way up, um, in around the middle of my, uh, robotics career, we built, we built Muffin. Uh, who is interesting for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that uh, that year, basically me and the coach founded that team um, in, at that particular level. Um, and so this is a, like a brand new team. And uh, it was also cool because I think Muffin was uh, our first real foray into a lot of the, the more challenging aspects of robotics. So it was like a uh, a little robot that is yeah three feet tall. Uh, it didn't shoot them. It placed the pucks <laughs> into into goals, but um, but that was pretty much as you describe. Um, and we took that all the way to the world championships. There were uh, we were team number twenty eight twenty, so there were over two thousand teams. Uh, we started out in Canada. We sort of worked our way through the regional levels, took it to the world championships, and we won the world championships with it. Um, and so that was uh, certainly a very cool foundational experience. Um, from there, I, I kept doing robotics. I, uh, I chose my high school because it was the only one in the Western part of Canada that had a top level robotics team. Um, and then I left that high school because I thought the robotics team was kind of eh and started my own. Um, so I went and convinced this, this new high school. I went to a high school where you didn't have to do coursework. It was like all self-directed. Mm. Um, so I went to this new high school I convinced them to let me do it. I recruited a team of 20 students. I trained them all myself. I found lab space. So I raised $20,000. 
uh, we got the team going and we made world finals that year, um, which was really cool. Uh, and then sort of kept going. I chose my university in significant part uh, so that I could do competition robotics uh, at the university level uh, with one of the world's best teams that was located near them. And also Waterloo is an excellent school, but you know, half of it was for the robotics. Um, and then, uh, and then we started building self-driving vehicles. And I, I thought self-driving is this really, really interesting application of everything that I'd learned over a long career uh, building these competition robots, uh, especially because the, I think competition robots are actually a lot more like self-driving than academia is, mm -hmm. um, which, which I think is interesting and not necessarily intuitive because competition robots are about performance. Nobody cares if your technology is novel or if it sounds really good on a piece of paper, if it doesn't work. Um, and so you learn a lot about the more production elements of robotics, about testing, about putting vehicles into the field. Um, and so I think that positioned us really, really well to build AV systems. So then we started building AV systems. Uh, we built two self-driving platforms before Embark. So uh, my co-founder and I built... Uh, this self-driving golf cart that's that's somewhat uh, famous always gets gets introduced uh, pretty early in the story. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was notable about the golf cart is it was the first self-driving vehicle to operate on Canadian roads. So this was very early on. This was at a time when Google and Cruise were working on self-driving and pretty much nobody else. And so that was incredibly cool. Uh, nobody thought we were going to be able to build that because, uh, you know, how hard it was for, for other groups. But I think the insights that I had from years and years and years of competition at a very, very high level actually turned out to be quite useful. Um, then from there, we built an electric autonomous shuttle, uh, piloted that in California across a whole bunch of different universities, um, and then finally started Embark. Uh, and I think all of this, uh, pretty much my whole life uh, of, of work and experience ultimately led to Embark. We're sitting down and looking at this incredible opportunity and technology we had developed and really making a decision, how do we build a real business? Um, because I'm not an academic. I don't want to build a science fair project. I want to build a product. And so we spend a lot of time getting to know all the different verticals. I think as you get to know it, it becomes clear trucking is just head and shoulders above everything else. And at the time, nobody agreed with us. Everyone thought we were crazy. Uh, but five years later, I think, there's a lot of uh, former skeptics that are becoming converts, um, and it's becoming very clear that trucking is going to lead the way uh, into making this technology a reality. Yeah, and we, we definitely want to sort of explore that a little bit later. But first, um, I think it would be helpful maybe if you could um, start with the basics. Um, can you maybe explain to us how Embark's technology works? Yeah, <laughs> that's probably a good starting point. So, so what does Embark do? So Embark builds autonomous driving software for trucks. And the way that that actually goes into production is that uh, we have a software package and we have a hardware kit that includes sensors and compute. Together, we call that Embark Driver. Uh, we then work with leading fleets. So Embark works with uh, four of the top 25 truckload carriers in the United States, including the number one truckload carrier. And we work with them to put that driver on the trucks they want to buy and integrate it onto those trucks. And then we license the software to them on a per mile basis. 
And so they uh, take those trucks and they operate them on highways and they're paying Embark sort of on a per mile basis as they do that. I think that the way that we really differentiate the trucking problem from the car problem is if you think about what people are doing in self-driving cars, it's almost all focused on urban driving, driving in cities. And basically Embark is building a mirror image of that, a system that only drives outside of cities where we focus on highway driving, we focus on being able to do surface streets, but only to distribution centers or to uh, sort of key trans transfer points where we're dropping freight. Uh, and so you pair that together with local drivers. And so you have a local driver who will pick up from the original spot, they'll bring it to a near highway transfer point. They will then disconnect the truck, truck and trailer will separate, driverless truck will come in, grab the trailer, and then it will go out onto the highway and drive to wherever the destination city is and then drop, drop the trailer off there. Um, and so Embark's technology is really um, the software package that can take data from a whole bunch of best-in-class sensors and can process that down to be able to understand the much simpler highway environment and then make the right decisions uh, to be able to safely navigate the truck from one end to the other. It feels like for the longest time we've been talking about self-driving personal cars, um, at least as the measure of uh, you know the future being upon us. But it appears that self-driving um, heavy trucks are going to arrive obviously a lot sooner. Um, but why is that, and why is it? Do you think that uh, you see the opportunity in trucking? And so, th this is a obviously a great question. This is the kind of the crux of it. Um, this is what. Brandon and I, my co-founder and I saw back in 2016 when we were deciding to start Embark was that trucking was going to be a better business. And uh, I, I don't think there was consensus at the time that that was the case. Um, but I do think you're really starting to see that be borne out. And, and really what's going on there is it turns out you're going to be more successful the more focused your technology development is. Um, I always like to tell the analogy of the iPhone and the iPod, that the iPhone is a great piece of tech. It's one that very clearly is sort of the natural evolution is to add more and more and more features until it can do almost everything that all your devices do. But everyone forgets, uh, we didn't build the iPhone by trying to build a general purpose solution. The original product was the iPod, and it was a very special purpose solution. And then they built a great iPod. It worked really well for this one use case and it was commercially very successful. And then they added features over time to get to where it is today. And I think what we saw sitting there in 2016 was that people were trying to boil the ocean on self-driving. They were just trying to do everything, trying to make it drive in challenging downtown situations with double parked cars and crazy pedestrians where it was going to be a long time before you could get something to perform really well. And instead, we said, let's take a step back here. Let's find an application, which is both incredibly compelling commercially, and I do think it is, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that, um, but one where you're, you're operating in a bit of a simpler environment. That's not to say that trucking is easy. It has its own unique challenges that are very different than urban driving. Um, but ultimately, I think it's coming to market a lot faster because it's better suited to what computers are good at. What makes trucking hard is that it's really long periods of time you have to be able to maintain focus you have to avoid fatigue and you have to be able to handle the fact that it's constantly under construction two of those three are things that computers do not have problems with right 
uh, versus you think about the problems of driving in a downtown environment, the, the bigger challenges are really reasoning problems about what's this person going to do, prediction problems about how, how should I expect this other vehicle to act. Um, and so I think it ends up being a lot more complicated versus the much more structured highway environment. So uh, additionally, you, you have announced partnerships with um, some major shippers such as um, AB InBev, uh, HP, um, Pilot Flying J, and a number of regional logistics firms. Um, what can you tell us about those partnerships and are any of them currently using Embark's technology? Yeah, so Embark, Embark currently uh, moves freight in partnership with all those folks you just listed. Um, we're moving freight today. So we have a, a development fleet. It operates out of Southern California. Uh, it's, about, it's about 16 trucks. Um, and we're going out every day, running those trucks and using them to move freight for major customers. And so that uh, we work with uh, big shippers and we'll kind of bring together a full, a full ecosystem piece. So we'll work with a shipper like HP and then we'll work with a carrier, uh, like a Knight Swift or a Werner Enterprises, and then we'll work with a real estate player. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll work with Pilot Flying J. We recently announced uh, that Embark is also bringing Rider into the network and that we're going to open up to 100 transfer point sites uh, in partnership with Rider. And so they're also going to be, be a piece of that ecosystem. Um, and so to layer in these players in the ecosystem, and then we run full driverless operation. Uh, so there's a safety driver in the truck, but we're moving freight, real freight today for money. Um, and the goal there is that we're really putting the entire business model through its paces at the same time as we're getting buy-in from these really important constituencies. And I think, uh, you know, one thing we don't do is we don't work with small firms, uh, which is maybe a little hypocritical, but, but it is what it is. Um, because we really are, are working with people who we think are going to be uh, able to deploy this at scale in the near term. And so we're really working with the A players in the logistics world uh, to, to get this ready to go and then to be able to deploy it at scale in 2024. Really interesting to hear how you're getting up and running uh, there in Southern California, but obviously there are trucks on the road everywhere. And this is a massive, massive market. You've, you've identified it as a $700 billion opportunity. Yeah, how for all the freight and trucking, how did you derive that figure? Yeah, it was a very simple process. Uh, the American Trucking Association studies how much the total truck spend is annually. And last year it was north of $700 billion. The question you ask about how big the market is, it's the sort of question that uh, there are perhaps some R&D companies where it's not so cut and dry as to how you got to the, the total market opportunity. And there was a lot of sort of hand-waving. And I actually think one of the things that um, us and the Northern Genesis team really got aligned around, and one of the things that brought, um, we, got a, we got a team who, uh, on, our, on the SPAC side that we're working with, who is ultimate hard asset guys, they, they owned a, a utility company, um, really focused on tangibility. One of the things that got them really excited about Embark, and one of the things I think gets investors really excited about Embark, is that you don't have to believe any assumptions to believe the market size. The, the market is $700 billion today, right? Um, and so I think that's something that uh, is pretty different than, than some other stories, like when we talk about flying cars, um, 
you know, there's a lot more speculation to be able to get to that number. Um, so $700 billion is what it is today, and it's going to grow, obviously, as e-commerce grows, as demand scales up. Uh, we expect to see that number continue to grow, but that's that's the number here sitting sitting in the seat in 2021. Right, and with the technology this new, investors are sure to be eager to watch the commercialization process. So what are some of the milestones to watch for Embark over the next few years? And so I would say there's two things to look for. One is Embark is laid out in our investor presentation, the 16 capability roadmap that we see from what we started doing in 2016 all the way through to commercialization. So 11 of those are already done, uh, including all the sort of core driving ones that allow us to run the fleet today. Um, but there are five more that focus on interactions with third parties in unique situations that uh, we're continuing to work on. And so we've hit two or three of these a year, every year uh, since the beginning. We've launched two so far in 2021. And we expect to continue to do two to three a year as we go forward. And so you'll be able to see the progress as we sort of hit those last five milestones. And I'll note of the 11 that we have done, nobody else has publicly demonstrated all 11. And of the five that sit in the to-do, these are something that nobody else has demonstrated any of the five that are left to do. And so we feel pretty good about how we're positioned when we look at that list. That's, that's on the technology side. On the business side, um, it's really showing progress against each of those key layers of the ecosystem. And so um, even just in the last eight weeks since we announced the SPAC, uh, we've announced a partnership with NVIDIA to support the compute platform and allow support manufacturing, uh, at, uh, uh, which I think is, is a big step for us to make sure that the kits that we're delivering are going to be able to be deployed at scale. Um, We've announced uh, significant work that we're doing on the drayage side. So that's the first and last mile. Um, and we're working together with uh, HP and BYD to run uh, a electric truck in the drayage portion. So you have electric truck transitioning to a driverless truck uh, at that transfer point. And this is like a really great combination of features. One of those things we del deliver through our partner development program because electric trucks have short range. They don't really make sense uh, for, for long haul yet. And at the same time, autonomous trucks don't want to go into cities. And so we're able to have that really nice fit together. You get 10% fuel economy savings on the driverless truck, and you get 100% fuel economy savings on uh, the electric one. Uh, and then um, even more recently, we announced uh, this uh, partnership with Ryder to bring uh, significant expansion to the, the real estate network um, that, we're, that we're going to be rolling out. And so I think you'll continue to see uh, announcements like that. Um, we have some, some really exciting stuff in the, in the hopper for this fall uh, and sort of continuing to put the bricks in place so that uh, we have these large, high-quality folks ready to, ready to deploy at scale in 24. Great. And, you know, I, I definitely want to get into how um, your technology interacts with some of those other technologies you were just mentioning there. But um, just to get, you know, on, on, on more or less specifics in terms of those next five steps you're going to be doing from your materials, it seems like in some ways, in the simplest term, it is essentially each step uh, further remove of that safety driver, no, you know, getting further and further away from control of the uh, of the truck, or at least, you know, getting to a point where uh, a human driver isn't is less and less needed. Um, uh, in the operations. Is that a good way of looking at it? So I would actually, I would actually frame it in terms of the operational design domain, um, where basically what we're saying is there's this list of things that the truck knows how to do 
And there's this list of things that it doesn't know how to do yet. And so we're expanding that to the point where the list is complete. I think that's really the right way to think about it because these are capabilities, things like being able to, to interact with police and, and get pulled over and, and be able to, to do that safely. Um, or being able to safely pull over to the side of the road if something breaks down, things like that, um, which I don't think, uh, yeah, I think the right way to think about it is sort of the, the incremental addition of, of situations it can handle. Okay, interesting. And so on those other technologies, you know, we've seen uh, SPACs involved in trucking technology in a lot of different ways. You mentioned a few of them, like electrification. Um, you have the hydrogen-powered solutions that are out there. How does how is your platform going to interact with all those, and and also you know other lidar solutions? Are those things that can be integrated um, from these other deals we've seen essentially? Yeah, Embark doesn't make trucks. I think that's the first key key insight here. So we don't compete, uh, and we don't necessarily take a strong side uh, for any particular OEM. We work with the fleet. We have our kit. It's designed to be platform agnostic, so it can run on different truck OEMs. And we work with the fleet to decide, well, what, what trucks do they want to buy? Um, but I think one of the things that is exciting and is different about Embark is because we've taken this modular integration first approach uh, with what it's a, a technology we call Embark Universal Interface. Because of Embark Universal Interface, uh, we're much better positioned to allow fleets to put this on an electric truck or put it on a hydrogen truck uh, and do that very rapidly. And so I think it's something we're really excited about is the opportunity to have a, a driverless electric or driverless hydrogen truck. Uh, that said, um, we're, we're not building trucks. And so um, we're kind of carefully watching the progress uh, and we will we'll sort of integrate as fleets ask us to. Um, as they start making those purchases. Uh, so, so Alex, um, maybe, maybe it'd be helpful if you could uh, help us or actually tell us about um, Embark's path to profitability. Um, I, I would imagine this can't be a cheap sector to be developing within, but uh, maybe you can kind of help us understand that. Of course, self-driving is not, not cheap. Uh, on the other hand, Embark has done a great deal to allow us to be a lot more capital efficient than anybody else in the sector. Um, and I think that that really comes down to the focus that we bring. So I, I mentioned some of our competitors before who are trying to do multiple different types of self-driving. They're trying to do cities, they're trying to do trucks, they're trying to do package delivery, or they're trying to own vertically a whole bunch, right? Where we partner with fleets, they're trying to be a fleet. Um, and so it, it, because we're not trying to do four or five things at the same time, we're really able to make sure that every dollar we put in is going into engineering, is going into software development, which is where we think we really bring value to the table. Uh, in this SPAC transaction, we have a $414 million trust, $200 million fully committed pipe. Um, between that $614 million, that fully funds Embark through commercialization in 2024, through to profitability with incremental buffer. Um, and so that was one of the things we were really excited about, about this transaction was the opportunity to put enough cash on the balance sheet to have the company fully funded through those milestones and to have a little bit of buffer on top. Um, and so the path for us is a little bit longer than a company that's uh, sitting here with, with like revenues that you can point to today. In some ways though, I think it's very simple because there's no question that our technology is valuable or interesting. Uh, there's no question that it creates immense profit and margin. 
We have the largest truckload carrier in the country as a major investor in the in in Embark. And so there's no question, will people buy it? Um, and so it's really a very straightforward process. It's hit those five milestones, deliver the technology to our partners at scale in 2024, and very rapidly thereafter be be a profitable company. Following up on that, then, um, what about your capex needs, in, at least in the near term, and how does it sort of, uh, you know, drive with the near term income potential? So we have very little capex needs because we are a SaaS, we're a software as a service product, and so the vast majority uh, of our money is is really going into to software engineering, and we actually spend very little on capex, which is something that, that I think is attractive about the business. Great, and, and kind of moving to more of the SPAC side. And so why do you think SPACs are so popular right now, especially for these kind of deals? And what made you opt for uh, a SPAC rather than a traditional IPO route? SPACs are obviously an interesting product. Embark has been thinking a great deal about um, how to fund the business. We always are, right? And so we're always evaluating all the options. And uh, I'll say uh, we really did have a lot of options when we, when we ultimately decided to do the SPAC process. Um, you know, there's a lot of interest in the private markets. Embark has always been very successful in the private markets. Of course, there's the IPO world. Um, and Embark's balance sheet is still very strong. We actually don't need incremental dollars. Uh, of course, for, for the longer term, eventually you need to fundraise. But in the short term, um, we have a very strong balance sheet. And so I think the decision for us really came down to, to a couple of things. Uh, one, we were really excited about the partner we were able to find. We're really excited about the Northern Genesis team. And I think they are the people that I want to be on our board and, and working with as we go public. And so I think that was really exciting. Um, and we looked at Lion Electric and how, how well they'd been able to navigate that process. Um, Lion Electric being the first SPAC that the Northern Genesis team did. Um, and so this is a franchise with a good history. It wasn't, you know, sort of a, a first time, uh, a, a first time out. It wasn't even their first time in the trucking industry. So uh, we were, we were quite positive about that. Um, then the second thing was the opportunity for investors to see the technology a little bit more up close and personal. Um, and so the fact that we were able to uh, bring people in, show them demos, actually put them in the truck, I do think nothing speaks as strongly for the technology as just sitting in the truck. Um, we've had lots of people who have been in you know, two or three or four self-driving trucks and uh, they, you know, they come in and say, well, it's super hard to tell the different companies apart. And then they get in the truck and they get out of the truck and they're like, okay, I get it. Um, and so I think that is something that was really attractive to us, that opportunity to be able to get investors under NDA and, and show them a little bit more of the tech. And so I think it was really those two things combined that, that ultimately made us excited about the SPAC and the opportunity, quite frankly, um, to be able to fully fund the business. I think uh, in the private markets, there's a little bit more hesitation to give companies a real war chest versus funding just the next 18 months. Um, and we thought that that was, that was a pretty unique opportunity here. Yeah, so it's funny. My, my next question was going to ask you, um, you know, how did you choose Northern Genesis? Uh, mostly because I, I have to imagine you were being courted by multiple specs, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, maybe you can kind of expand on that if, like, if there's anything else you want to talk about, but, uh, uh, you know, at least on the Northern Genesis team. Yeah. So, so, so just to give a little background on Northern Genesis, um, so Northern Genesis is a SPAC franchise. It's run by two guys, uh, Ian Robertson and Chris Jarrett. Um, previous to uh, doing this, they ran a company called uh, Algonquin Power. It was a $12 billion publicly traded company for 30 years. Um, and they left and they decided they wanted to go 
continue working in interesting businesses. And so they started uh, Northern Genesis. And I think um, there were a few things that were really attractive to Northern about that particular SPAC to us. Um, the first one is, as I mentioned, the, the history of success. This wasn't a first time SPAC. This is somebody who, who knew what they were doing. I, I called uh, the references and the references had glowing reviews. So it was very clear and the market had glowing reviews, right? There's obviously been significant gains for everybody who invested in uh, Northern Genesis One. Um, and so I think that that was really strong. Um, Line Electric is one of the better performing uh, mobility specs full stop. And so I think all of that was really exciting. Um, the second thing is that they were operators. We really liked that they had experience running a company, especially as we're making this transition, being able to talk to Ian about, you know, how should we think about board construction? How do we deal with all these new, new challenges that of course come to any newly public company? Um, super valuable. Uh, and then they're, they're true believers in what we're doing. Uh, we, we got them in the truck and they, they were definitely one of those groups that once they got in the truck, they were, they were sold. Um, and so I think we're, we're certainly very excited to be working with them. Yeah, but, but I, I, like I said, I, you had to have been courted by multiple SPACs, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, we're, can you confirm? <laughs> I can say we got a lot of calls. We got a yes. lot of calls for a very long time before we ultimately decided on Northern Genesis. Okay, fair, fair enough. Um, well, uh, anyway, given that this is an entirely new sector, um, how, how did you and Northern Genesis go about assessing the valuation for Embark? I mean, so um, what metrics did you use among existing players or that at least ended up being instructive? Yeah, so, so we really looked at the valuation on a both a relative and an absolute basis. Um, and I think both of those are important. So on the absolute basis, we, we look at uh, the earnings multiples that we're looking at in the out years once the technology is actually deployed and sort of doing a sanity check to make sure that, um, is that, is that does that number make sense? Is that, is that consistent with the sort of returns that Northern Genesis wants to be able to provide to their investors, right? Um, then the second thing we're doing is looking on a relative basis because at, at the time, uh, you can sort of look at who else is in the public markets and how mature is their trucking program uh, and how are they being valued. And so we looked at Too Simple and Aurora, both of whom are valued uh, in sort of either the high single digit, low double digits valuation, um, both of whom are newer to trucking than Embark. Uh, and so when we looked at that, that also gave us a lot of comfort um, to, to sort of know that, yeah, the, the absolute number makes sense, but also when we look at other companies that are trying to do this same technology where Embark is, is more experienced, has better investors, has higher quality partners, um, that, that that makes sense then from a valuation perspective. And I'll say the last thing, and, and this is important, um, is we didn't necessarily try to maximize the valuation. Mm -hmm. nobody, nobody from Embark is selling any shares in this transaction. And so uh, it doesn't, the price of course matters, but what matters more from my perspective is that we set ourselves up for long-term success. And that means making sure we have an attractive valuation uh, for investors to come in today so that they can grow with us as opposed to sort of trying to get a nosebleed price and then having to, having to continue to support that over time. And so I think that was one of the things we talked about a great deal. And we wanted to make sure the company was fairly valued, but also that 
that it was an attractive opportunity and it was priced well compared to what was trading in the market. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And you know, you talked a lot about how you plan to how you plan on deploying the the capital from um, this transaction, but that's of course only one side of a SPAC deal. And and the other side is is becoming a public company. And and how you know what benefits do you think being a public company will bring Embark? And how do you plan on uh, taking advantage of those? I'll focus on two. Um, one is is we work with a lot of traditional industries, um, big shippers, carriers. And so I think the credibility that comes with being a public company with the extra scrutiny, with the extra disclosure will be extremely helpful in being able to show the, the strength and credibility of our business to some of these more uh, traditional industrial partners that, that we work with. Um, and the second one that I'm, I'm quite excited about is uh, we have a lot of uh, competitors who try and attract talent with uh, paper money equity, basically that uh, where the value is sort of always a little bit in question because the, the, the transaction structure of the private round has crazy di- uh, liquidation preference and like weird internal stuff so that you never really know the price. Um, and I'm incredibly excited to start competing against the, those same people for offers and just being able to say, yeah, here's these number of RSUs and oh, what's it worth? It trades on the NASDAQ. So it's worth what we say it's worth. Um, and I think that access to uh, sort of a clear liquidity benchmark um, will give us a, a big leg up on some of the competition that, that doesn't have that. And so, you know, what's next for Embark? What are the things that are coming up in the, the next few months that you're most excited about? We're obviously, uh, we're obviously working quite hard on, uh, on those five technology items that, that, uh, that I mentioned. Um, but in the, in the shorter term, uh, we're, we're starting to, to get pretty far into the process, actually close the SPAC. Um, we have what we're calling Embark Day coming up on September 22nd that we're really excited about. Um, there's gonna be some, some big announcements around September 22nd uh, that, that'll be a lot of fun. We have uh, 50 plus investors, media analysts coming out uh, to actually see, uh, see the truck doing demos. Uh, and so we expect for people to start to be able to see um, a, a lot, sort of as the information starts to come out out of that, people to really get a unique opportunity uh, to see some new announcements, to see truck demos, and to hear from people who got to experience it firsthand. So I think that's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, and we're, we're certainly looking forward to it. Well, that, that's perfect timing because this this podcast will uh, probably be released on the 22nd. So <laughs> there we go. We'll, we'll be looking for it. <laughs> <laughs> so at the moment you're hearing this, go check, uh, go check Embark News and see, see what, uh, what fun stuff you can find. Perfect, perfect. Uh, and by the way, like, do, do, do people call you A-Rod? <laughs> <laughs> very, very occasionally. <laughs> well, I mean, you're Canadian, right? So maybe it should just be uh, A-Rod. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that you might have coined a new nickname. But... <laughs> Heard it here uh, first. That's right. Anyway, I, listen, Alex, it was, uh, it, it was a pleasure having you on today. And we uh, really enjoyed talking to you. And, uh, and we're looking forward to seeing what Embark and, and you do in the future. Awesome. Yes. Thanks so much, guys. And uh, thanks for having me on.